Welcome to Owl's About Start. So, uh, December 2019. You can probably imagine there's one particular subject which will be the focus of this episode. Um, no prizes for guessing what that will be. So, we are going to be um, delving a little bit deeper into exactly what's going on at the moment with regards to Sheffield Wednesday and the um, charge from the EFL or multiple charges from the EFL um, and kind of revisiting the whole stadium sale and lease back to see if we can figure out what's going on um, and maybe even try and, and and hazard some kind of guess as to uh, the likely outcome of this. Um, my name is James Marriott. Uh, we have another James as well, James Allen in New York. Good afternoon, James, or good evening where you are. It is evening here. Um, and we also have uh, Peter, who is in Denmark. Hi, Peter. Hello. Now, Peter, you are our guy that's been um, following this very, very, very closely. Now, I, I, I heard I was at the um, the Wednesday match yesterday on on Saturday, as we record this on Sunday, uh, and heard a lot of people in the pub talking about it. And it struck me that there's still people that probably don't really quite know what this whole thing is about. So, um, give us a bit of a recap as to what what we know and where we're at, and what this whole uh, debacle is all about. Right. So. Um... Obviously, we are, we are a football club, so we spend money and we receive money. So when you go to the stadium, we receive money from your tickets. Uh, when we buy players and we pay the wages, we spend money. So what the EFL has done is said, well, we, we can't live with a, a world where clubs um, just overspend and, and go into oblivion, uh, as we've seen with, uh, with Bury. Um, so they've made a, a loss limit of uh, £39 million pounds, um, for, 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 the, for three years. So the... Chinchiri took over Wednesday in, in the middle of 2015. So the period from the middle of 15 till uh, June uh, 18, those three years, we can only make a loss of £39 million. In those three years, we've had uh, expenses of £30 million, £45 million and £60 million. Um, And then now there are some exemptions under these EFL rules. Um, so we're around about £125 million total expenses. Our income, on the other hand, is about uh, 75 million total. So we've got a total loss of about 53 million. As you can imagine, 53 million is is more than uh, more than 39 million. So we are 14 million above the uh, the allowed limit. What's the consequence of breaking this limit? Well, we saw that last season with uh, Birmingham, uh, who were deducted nine points uh, because they'd broken the rules and had uh, a loss that was too big, uh, larger than the 39 million allowed. So what does Mr. Chancery, do well. The, uh, the 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 old school way would be to either lower your costs, uh, that is, lower the wage bill, and don't spend transfer fees because eighty pence out of every pound we spend is on wages and transfer fees. Uh, and the other way is to to earn more revenue. Um, and here people will be saying, "Well, Mr. Chancery, he's got all this tuna box. Can he just chuck chuck some more money in it?" Um, but no, he can't because the EFL has also made a limit of 20, uh, 24 million pounds over these three years. That, that is the limit of money that an owner can put into a club. So there's a limit to how much Mr. Chancery can support us. Um, and what he's done then is, uh, as has been uh, quite well uh, advertised, uh, he's taken Hillsborough, which in our accounts was sitting as an asset worth £22 million, and he's then transferred Hillsborough from uh, Sheffield Wednesday Football Club Limited's accounts to a shell company he set up himself, which he's the sole owner of, called Sheffield Three Limited, and he's made a, uh, sold it for a price of sixty million. So the difference between those two numbers, twenty-two and sixty million, is the thirty-eight million, which is 
now has now become metric paper money that goes into our accounts as revenue. So if you take that 38 million and and uh, and subtract it from the uh, the total loss of 53 million, we now only have a, a loss over three years of 15 million. So we, we, if we if Hillsborough is allowed to be sold, we are well under the uh, the limit and we won't have any uh, any any problems with the the EFL rules. So the the crux of this issue here is whether a we could we can sell Hillsborough to ourselves, so to speak. And B, whether we did it uh, within the, uh, the the time of these accounts, that's between June fifteen and uh, and June um, twenty eighteen, um, and that is what the basically what it's it, it's all about. It's whether we've we've uh, we've sold Hillsborough at, at the right time, so we could put it into the accounts of uh, the the financial year of 2017-2018. And the EFL is claiming we haven't, and uh, as the club has put out on the on the official website this past week. They vigorously uh, deny the charges of, uh, of wrongdoing and say that the uh, the EFL um, at least nodded to uh, nodded some sort of consent to to us uh, that we were allowed to do this deal and we were allowed to put this uh, this revenue from 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 selling the stadium to ourselves into our accounts for uh, for, for 2017 2018 thereby completely um, uh, obliviating any case the EFL may have, have against us. So that's really where we are at now, and that is a lot of numbers, yes, but it's hard not to uh, explain this without a lot of numbers, unfortunately. So basically, we've tried to to uh, to get around the rules, um, and the EFL is telling us telling us off for doing that. And we're we're now waiting on on, uh, on a disciplinary a disciplinary commission to uh, to look at the evidence uh, pro a contra and uh, decide whether we're in the wrong or whether the EFL's charges are wrong. Okay, so I mean, we th- this is a, a slightly tricky episode for us to record because we, this is kind of you know these these are uncharted waters, aren't they? Like we mm-hmm. there isn't a, a test case. We we know what happened with Birmingham last season, but that was a very different set of circumstances. So it's really hard to kind of sort of second guess where this is going to go. <clears throat> um, so firstly, the one thing I've heard a lot of Wednesday fans say is. How come this has happened when the EFL signed off the accounts months ago? Um, James, I know you've you've been following this with the luxury actually of, of maybe being kind of you know not in the thick of it here in in Sheffield. Um, what what's your kind of take on that? Because that that is something you know we've all seen it on Twitter. People going, "Hang on, the EFL signed this off." Why uh, several months later they're turning around and going, "Actually, no, we're not happy about this." Yeah, I think I was one of the people who wrote that the day the charges were announced. Um, I mean, what what it really comes down to is is a bit of a change of regime at the EFL, um, and perhaps an intent post the Berry debacle in the summer to to you know deal with clubs that are perceived to be playing in the grey edges of the PNS regulations with a much heavier hand, and Wednesday appear to be the test case for for that approach. So. You know, to the best of our knowledge, and I think essentially the the case that Peace has just outlined that the club are making is, look, we knew that we were working through loopholes with the sale of Hillsborough, but frankly, we weren't the only ones. You know, Derby, Villa, Reading, other clubs have have done the same thing. And therefore, we worked with and in consultation with the EFL in order to approach that. Um, And, you know, at least the perspective that the club have is that the EFL were 
both supportive and complicit in in the decisions and therefore you know we all have the perspective as fans that the accounts that were ultimately submitted and the pns clearance that was given to us in the summer so we could go ahead and sign players was tacit acceptance from the efl that okay you've managed to find a way through this and you've avoided the pns penalties you're in the clear for the three-year period up to the end of 1718 over the summer, Sean Harvey, the chief executive of the EFL, um, obviously was uh, was ultimately removed. Rick Parry, uh, former um, chief exec at Liverpool, is now now in charge. And it appears that the EFL have decided to really come after Wednesday for exactly the reasons that Peter outlined in terms of the timing of the sale, the allegation that the sale was registered after the period of the accounts. Um, and it becomes a really messy legal fight at this point because it's about interpretation of you know how complicit um, the EFL were in what Wednesday did, uh, whether or not the Wednesday's interpretation and our auditor's interpretation of the EFL rules is compliant with the, the financial regulations. It's not a matter of legality. It's a matter of legal interpretation. And that's a really interesting and difficult place for Wednesday to be. And frankly, I think we're, we're going to become the test case for the whole PNS regime. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a lot of writing on this for both us, but definitely also the EFL, because the EFL is stuck between a rock and a hard place in that we, they have clubs who have circumvented these, these rules before, uh, and then they have clubs like, especially Middlesbrough, who are complaining about clubs circumventing the rules. So they have to be seen as doing something, but they can't be seen as doing too much, uh, crushing clubs like us, for instance, and relegating us uh, effectively. So they have to find like a middle ground and find a compromise. And I think that's why they've um, they've they've tried to play this the, the PR way as well by by um, by getting the news out that that also that Chan Siri and, and John Redgate, uh, our financial director, and Catherine Mayer, who was our chief executive until she uh, she was uh, she was sacked, um, that the, the three of them has also been charged with misconduct cases, which I perceive as a way for the EFL to say um, we, we we mean this, and it might not be they have uh, the law on their side, but they want to make it seem like they're really going after us, and it might be my my interpretation of this is uh, that it would be in the interests of both us and the EFL if we could reach some sort of settlement out of court, so to speak, that is um, reach an understanding which uh, nullifies the, the need to have uh, a disciplinary commission uh, educate on this on this matter because the risk for the EFL in this, the process risk for the EFL in this, is that the disciplinary commission can't find any wrongdoing we've done. And they, they, they look foolish then. And the, uh, the PNS rules, uh, the, the financial fair play rules, look completely toothless. And you just have completely reckless spending in, in not only the championship, but also League One and League Two as a consequence of that. And the EFL can't live with that. And on the other hand, you have the risk for us that if we go into the disciplinary commission, we could be, had, be, could be made, as James said, a test case. We could be given a, a much heavier penalty than we would expect based on the verdict that uh, Birmingham were given last season. So both us and the EFL are at a high risk, uh, high reward uh, uh, stage of of the uh, of this poker game. And rather than going all in, both of us, uh, I think we'll we'll probably both fold in some some sort of uh, sense and uh, and see if we can't man- manage some sort of um, of a combination of penalty that is uh, multiple transfer windows, uh, transfer embargo. Maybe a smaller points deduction this season, a suspended points deduction next season. Um, that's the sort of scenario I can I can imagine being being plausible. 
Okay, now um, <clears throat> I've got a ton of things that I kind of want to try and figure out and clarify as we as we do this. But the first thing, so this the, the main sort of area of contention seems to be this this question about dates, whether or not the sale of the stadium fell within the period that the FFP accounts cover. Surely this is quite an easy thing to figure out. You know, the stadium was sold on a date. There is a date when that deal is done. It, it, it surely it's not that difficult to find out what that date. Is June twenty eighth, <laughs> twenty nineteen. Yeah, I mean, so so here's the really simple thing, James. I don't think it's in contention that Wednesday sold the stadium after the period of the accounts. Now, I know that may sound absurd because that sounds like you caught red-handed. The real question is: Were the EFL accepting of the fact that Wednesday were transacting on the stadium that they were claiming that there was an intent to sell or that the the sale had been kind of you know at least kind of in process but the actual land registry date was later or did Wednesday try to hide that from the EFL in which case they've deliberately not only broken the PNS regulations but they've also they'll be also in breach of a whole series of governance standards as regards participation in the EFL because you know, you, you've only got to look at the land registry dates, like Peter said, and it's very clear that we sold after the period the accounts closed, which is, is you know, July of 2018, after we'd uh, adjusted the account year end as we did earlier in the year. Yeah, and the, 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 the only thing, the only way we could get out of this, the, the thing we could claim in this uh, presence, pre- presenting of uh, our defence in, in a disp- disciplinary commission would be that there is actually a rule in the EFL regulations that if you, if you sell a player after your your financial year ends, that is in July or in August during the transfer window, you can actually put that transfer receipt, those the fee you've received, into the accounts of the previous year. So it might be that Wednesday uh, sort of not directly, but uh, alluded to, could we maybe use this sort of clause with the stadium sale? And they've written uh, like a, a woolly email to the EFL, and the EFL haven't been clear in saying no and we've said okay well we didn't get a no so that's probably a yes and i mean it's it's that sort of situation that makes it high stakes and high risk for both us and the efl because the efl can be made to look really silly but we can also be made to be look really silly and more importantly unlawful well let let me just take one issue with that peter it's not unlawful in the context there is there is nothing preventing sheffield wednesday football club from selling their stadium to dave one chancery in law um there's nothing unlawful about them registering it within their accounts if their auditors have you know given them guidance that that's acceptable the illegality here is whether or not it falls within the regulations of the Mm -hmm. efl pns regime and whether the efl deem that to be in breach of the governance standards of the efl i believe yeah there's there's no rules against selling your stadium uh there used to be a rule uh until 2016 then for some absurd reason, the EFL deleted that rule without any publication of, of the facts. And Derby were the first to suss this change, and, and they uh, they went ahead and sold their stadium for even more than we did and uh, and also got out of jail like we did. Um, so, so there's actually no illegality about it. But the unlawful thing about this would be whether we've, we've tried to obfuscate the, the, the timing of the sale and make it out like the, the sale. it was okay to put the sale into the accounts of 2017, 2018. Because if we if we can't, there's a clear breach of of, um, of the spending limit of the of the loss limit that the EFL have set out in their rules, and we would be looking at at a minimum of twelve points deducted deducted uh, if we if we're looking at the the Birmingham case. 
So, so it's it's really, as I say, it's a high risk, high stakes game because twelve points. Well, it wouldn't put us in the relegation zone, but the EFL disciplinary commission can actually add another nine points on top of that. Twenty one points would put us. Uh, we, we're probably on course on to the high sixties, low seventies points wise this season. If you subtract twenty one points from that, you're you're close to fifty, and that's the uh, the old uh, the old hallmark of uh, of the points you needed to survive. So, the points deduction. Uh, depending on how high it goes, could change our season from chasing playoffs to trying to escape relegation. Um, and the EFL can't be interested in in, in relegating us effectively um, because they might be facing, because they've been unclear, which which they must have, otherwise there wouldn't be a case. Um, they could be facing uh, out of out of um, well out of their own system. Uh, they could be facing a legal challenge in in the in the regular court system. Which could take years. Just look at the Queens Park Rangers. They they took four years before they they settled out of court. Um, after Queens Park Rangers spent millions on lawyers in uh, in trying to fight the, the the fine they got from the from from the EFL back then. So so that's why the EFL might also be interested in in finding an, uh, a somewhat amicable solution to to this problem, uh, as would we. I mean, this is quite interesting. This this idea of doing a deal with the EFL, which seems to have kind of come to light in the last couple of days that, that I've, I've I've kind of heard more and more people kind of talking about this sort of idea um so far the way that the club have have dealt with this and I know James you 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 spent a lot of time kind of looking at the statement from the club this week um that that doesn't to be particularly kind of indicative for for, for me of, a, of someone that wants to do a deal about it the the club seem pretty headstrong in terms of they just reject this outright well, actually, possibly not. Um, so I'm not sure how much of time I've spent so much as how I, how I reacted to the statement. So what you'll notice that's very different about the club statement that we put out midweek is that it, it doesn't read like pretty much any other club statement you've seen from Sheffield Wednesday FC in, in recent years. And there's a very good reason for it, which is it wasn't written by the normal people. A, it wasn't written by Dave Funchansiri himself. B, it wasn't written by a communications team. It was written by an employed and retained lawyer. You know, somebody with uh, with legal training, which is important. You know, it says that the, the club are taking this with the utmost seriousness, that we've retained a law firm who is acting on our behalf um, and that the statement they will put out publicly is very, very carefully worded, really, to give absolutely nothing away. Now, in practice, what that means is that anything can be going on behind the scenes. The club are just making sure they don't put anything out in public that would prejudice those discussions. So it is more than plausible that we are negotiating with the EFL around you know, something of a compromise, as, as Peter suggested, but that the club statement is, you know, in effect, a, a kind of a, a buffer to give us the space for those negotiations and also to give us the right and the, the ability to take it into a, a legal setting if we need to. Yeah. Um, it's also, in a worst-case scenario, absolute evidence of the fact that that's exactly where we're headed. The honest truth is we don't know. You know, it, it's, it will be coming down to what our lawyers, the EFL lawyers, are negotiating Ooh. on, um, where where the case, the strength of the case may be. You know, if we genuinely do have evidence that the EFL were accepting of the accounts, then that puts us in a privileged position. Alternatively, if the EFL believe that they've got absolutely clear categorical evidence that we've acted um, inappropriately, um, I'm afraid the case is, is much more severe for Wednesday. And the honest truth is that we as fans just don't know until this becomes, uh, you know, resolved in a more public setting. Okay, um, let's let's touch on the subject of um, penalties, because we've we've done this. Um, 
we've done this show before uh, and we've done episodes that focus very much on FFP and we've talked about the fact that the rules changed when when it when it actually moved from being FFP to to PNS and it's all they're all just letters but um the rules did change and as part of that rule change the punishments became a lot more um severe uh, a lot harsher and we reflect on the fact that the EFL had almost uh, an un- unlimited amount at its disposal in terms of how it can punish teams the there seems to have been very sp- particular kind of punishments that have been talked about by people with regards to this breach so this idea of a 12 point deduction for the actual FFP breach if it turns out that the stadium sale um cannot go into those accounts and we did breach um ffp so um i know peter this is something that you um you, you're quite clued up on so um is 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 there particular kind of limits or guidelines as to what kinds of punishments the efl can can give for these things yeah there, there is because because of birmingham's verdict uh, last year which was published and which is about eight pages uh, long so in the in that verdict, there is a sliding scale going from from a breach of the rules from one pound up to uh, and above uh, fourteen million pounds, I believe it is. So if you if you breach the limit by one pound, then uh, then it's a one point penalty, and then it goes up to if you breach it by more than fifteen million pounds, it goes up to twelve points. Then on top of that, the uh, the EFL can add the uh, the the, uh, the disciplinary commission of the EFL can can add uh, another nine points for so called aggravating factors. That is, if you're acting in bad faith, or as the statement <laughs> on our club website this uh, this week showed, uh, if you if you fight for the uh, for the charges vigorously, as we've uh, promised to do, uh, then the EFL can add another uh, uh, more points on, on on top of that, which they did in Birmingham's case. They can also take points off again for mitigating factors if uh, if we've been complying with their with their regulations uh, in in other areas and if, if we've been in constant communication with them if we've been trying to submit the the right documents uh, we've been following the business plan we've been presenting for them and all that if that might lessen the uh, the points deduction but it's a minimum of 12 points uh, if if uh, if the the sale of Hillsborough is outlawed uh, completely um, and then on top of that, you put on put on anything between one and nine points. And, and I've been on record on Twitter saying I, I think fifteen points is likely, because it's it's more than just a slap on the wrist, but it's not a, a punch in the face that'll knock us unconscious. So it's it's a nice middle ground for the EFL to land it on fifteen points because it won't relegate us, but it will put us uh, out of uh, out of contention for the playoffs um, or should anyway. Okay, other punishments. So that that would be the the point side of things. Um, what about yeah. a financial uh, punishment? Um, and what about it's not really been talked about very much. But what about um the idea of a transfer embargo? Because the situation that that mm. we're in, and one thing that we've not even touched on so far on this podcast is actually about how the team is doing on the pitch or anything to do with the squad. Uh, but we have in previous episodes mentioned the fact that about it, it feels like almost half of this squad is out of contract in the summer. Yeah. Now, we know all too well about the effect of being under a transfer embargo and what that means in terms of renewing contracts or uh, players that we're probably quite happy to see uh, leave the club, but we've got to sign replacements. So the uh, transfer embargo side of things could actually be really quite severe for, for, for the, for the yeah. um, chances of, of, of what, what, you know, what, what this club could achieve in the next year, two years, maybe even longer than that. So um, what what can we kind of expect there? Are there, are there limits? Are there um, kind of precedents like the, the, the have been with Birmingham? 
there is one president with uh, I think I believe it's Nottingham Forest who had uh, I think it was three three transfer windows where they were embargoed. Um, and if you look at at the non EFL financial rules uh, that UEFA have in place, they've also had multiple transfer windows, uh, up to four transfer windows that they've slapped on top of clubs. So so it's not without the uh, it's, it's not implausible that that the the EFL might be going down that route because they know it'll hurt us and it'll also speak into the. Uh, begins with the narrative that, that if they put a transfer embargo on us, that will automatically or lower our costs going forward. So um, we won't be at risk of, of, um, of breaching the limit in the future. Um, there are, though, it's, it's, it's not like uh, being pregnant or not. It's not a binary situation, though. It's uh, a transfer embargo could be many things. Um, we've been under soft transfer embargo before which means we can still sign players, but they, they can't be on wages of more than around £12,000 a week, which is well below the average of, uh, of the EFL Championship. Um, we can't pay any transfer fees for them, so there has to be free agents or at least free transfers from, from clubs. Um, those have been the restrictions we have been living under uh, this past summer, uh, in which we signed uh, Julian Berner and, um, and Luango, um, who, who were signed... Um, with with a fee, but but still with the consent of the EFL, so it it goes to a, to a, to a, a case by case basis. Basically, it can go to a case by case basis. But there is also the nuclear option that they totally outlawed the registration of any new players that that be be it free transfers or or, or, or what. So it's, it might just be the youth players we were able to register. So so basically, what Bolton have been going through um, before they uh, they were taken over um, earlier this season that they had to play the the entire youth team. Um, again, these rules a bit like <laughs> a bit like nuclear weapons during the uh, during the Cold War. They're not supposed to be used, and they're not supposed to be abused. They're supposed to be a deterrent. They're supposed to make us. They're supposed to be so harsh that they stop us from doing things that that make make the rules uh, needed. Um, so, so the EFL would be very reluctant to to be too harsh on us um, because they'll be pushed back because other clubs like Derby are in a similar situation to us that they. Will, will be or can be in a breach of the uh, of the loss limit in the future, and, and we will have multiple clubs who 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 could be or will be in the same situation. I think the one exception the to that, Peter, is is what the what the evidence proves in terms of how you know how explicit our breach is. So yes, other clubs may have gone down the same route of us in terms of manipulation of the accounts. If it is provable that Sheffield Wednesday deliberately misled the EFL, then I think the likelihood of a, a firm embargo of the order of you know a couple of transfer windows is is much li- more likely. If it is just a question mm. of you know ultimately we played too hard in the grey area of the accounts, then that that becomes less likely as you're describing. And actually, probably the best example of this, James, is is Chelsea in the Premier League. You know, they were found very, very clearly to be in breach of FIFA's rules and regulations as regards the registration of of players under eighteen. You know, youth youth squad players. Um, they've, you know, they've had a very firm non registration embargo for two transfer windows consecutively, and ultimately that was pretty directly provable. And and they've they've suffered as a result of it. It could be good for our younger players. You know, it forced the youth youth squad to have to come through when we lose a lot of those uh, players that are out of contract in the summer. But again, it all comes down to to what is provable about the way we went about this transaction. And, and again, it's really difficult to know that unless you've got the evidence in hand. 
Okay, next thing on 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 my list to look at is is time scale. So um, I remember when this first broke two three weeks back or whatever it was that um, the the kind of suggestion at the time was that this might not drag on for too long because there's been a change at the top in the EFL and there's a suggestion that actually they're keen on. Um, on kind of wrapping these things up very quickly and it not being similar to the Birmingham case, which took, I think, about 10 months altogether to uh, to eventually get resolved uh, last season. I think mm. it's, it's, it's subsequently become clear that that's probably unlikely because um, Wednesday obviously are very much um, uh, fighting their corner on this one and that means um, long legal processes, possibly all kinds of appeals and, and, and things um, like uh, like that. So um, how how does this work so if if the the independent panel meets and whatever happens they you know find that wednesday were in breach um and wednesday i assume have the right to uh, appeal that does that mean that any sort of punishment any um particularly in in terms of a points deduction or in terms of a transfer embargo does that mean that those things have to pretty much go on hold until the entire sort of legal process has, has kind of been carried out which could take uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it could ultimately take years. Well, both yes and no. Um, Birmingham's verdict showed that they had 14 days to appeal the um, the uh, the verdict, and and uh, that appeal would also be handled by by the EFL's uh, independent uh, commission. Um, and the EFL has also in the full rights to to appeal any verdict from the commission if they feel it's not harsh enough, for instance, or not uh, not uh, enough in their direction. Um, but I mean, the EFL were caught out by Queen's Park Rangers years back when when the, the legal fight took on took three or four years. But they they've actually changed the rules uh, as we uh, as you said earlier. They changed the rules from the old FFP rules, which were what uh, Queen's Park Rangers were in breach of, to the new uh, PNS rules, profitability and sustainability. Um, and under these new profitability and sustainability rules, uh, you you have the you don't have the, the uh, the means of just um, basically stalling the case and just keep appealing to until the until the case goes goes away for you, um, like QPR did, because it is it, it is within the rules that even if you get promoted, for instance, you're still bound by the rules. Which means Aston Villa, who were promoted last season, uh, if they were to come down, they could still face a big points deduction because they did the same as we did, sold the stadium, and if if the valuation of their stadium deal isn't correct, then they might face a penalty as well. So the EFL have have more powers to to punish us than they had before than they had with QPR. So it is unlikely that this would drag on for years. It might drag on for months, but we would, I would be very very surprised if we didn't see a resolution of this before season's end. Uh, I think the EFL would prefer a resolution before the January transfer window opens, but that is within a few weeks. So it's probably hard to see that happening. But the EFL, it is within the EFL's discretion to to deny registration of our players if we have not been complying with the business plan. Remember, we've been under review for the past uh, three years now, uh, and the EFL have been looking at our business plan. We had to produce business plans for the EFL explicitly saying, how are you going to get within the limits, uh, the loss limits of the uh, of the PNS rules, which we've shown in these business plans. And if we have not been li- living to the letters of these business plans, which, which Birmingham did not do last season, they promised they were going to sell a lot of players and then make a lot of money that way and, and get, a, uh, get within the, the limits uh, by selling these players. Um, and if we promised the same thing and we're not delivered on that, the EFL can, can, can say, uh, can, can, are completely free to say, 
well, you've not been complying with the business plans, so we're putting you under an embargo until your your, uh, your expenses get lower. So you can't sign any new players because that would increase your expenses. So we don't know. We've not been told as fans, and the, the public has not been told the last two times we've been hit by a transfer embargo by the EFL. So there's there's a big likelihood that we might actually have be under a functional transfer embargo by the EFL at the moment, that the EFL would be reluctant to register any new player we sign. What the EFL can't do is is say it is unlawful for us to sign the player. We can sign the player, pay him money, pay transfer fees, but we can't register him to play in the EFL championship competition. That's the only stop uh, stop block that the uh, the EFL has against us. It's, it's You can sign any player you want, but you can't play him in our competition. So it, it's a bit, why would we sign a player? Uh, so... The EFL is again on unsteady ground here, which we are as well. Um, but I, I would I would imagine the EFL, if if they can't get a resolution to this or at least a preliminary verdict before the beginning of the January transfer window, they would put us under a transfer embargo and effectively say that any registered players would have to wait until the end of January, where they would hope during the month of January that there would be some sort of resolution to the case. Um, and again, if Wednesday decide to fight it all they can and appeal all they can and dragging it on to beyond the, the end of the January transfer window, that might actually punish us because if we're not able to sign in the players during the, um, during, during the January transfer window and strengthen the squad and potentially win more points during the, the last half of the season, um, we might struggle uh, if we get a 21 points deduction and struggle to, to survive in the division. Uh, so it's, it's not as clear-cut uh, that the only cause of action here is just to fight it, fight it, fight it, because... That's not how that's not how law works. Unfortunately, uh, you have to be right, not just uh, not just uh, not just dis- disagreeing. Okay. Um, obviously, Peter, you mentioned earlier about kind of what you think is the most likely outcome here. Um, James, what what's your thoughts in terms of what you think is likely? And I know this is really difficult because it is uncharted waters, but um, I, I'm guessing it's something that you've probably thought about. What 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 do you see as being the 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 sort of the likely result of all this? I think, honestly, if I was to bet on a scenario, it'll be that the EFL will try and accelerate the judgment, that they will slap us with a pretty significant points deduction. Probably not the 21 point, but, you know, 15 points, as Peter suggested, is is probably pretty reasonable. And then Wednesday, we'll fight it in the courts. Um, And the reason why I said it out that way is I I honestly believe, just based on some of the discussions I've had with people, that not only Wednesday, but other clubs in not a dissimilar situation see this as ultimately the proving ground for whether or not the whole PNS regime that the EFL have put in place is is sustainable. Um, and if I'm to play devil's advocate for a second, you know this whole mess is really of the making of the EFL because on one hand they've managed to have a completely loose hand that's allowed historic clubs like Bury to go to the wall, clubs like Bolton to be run into disrepair. And on the other hand, they're trying to stop, you know, owners who have the capacity to fund a promotion charge from spending their own money. I mean, that's the situation that Wednesday are in. Dave Chancery has the means to keep Wednesday afloat. He's not spending unsustainably. He's just spending beyond the means that are permissible by the competition. And he's not alone in the championship in, in wanting to take that course. So I suspect this will become a legal challenge. I think it will drag on until the end of the season. I don't think we as fans are necessarily going to have absolute clarity as to what our end result is. And I think what that's really going to mean is that Gary Monk and the playing squad are just going to have to get their heads down and get on with it. Um, I think it's unlikely we're going to be able to do much in the way of transfers in January. I think what we're looking at right now is the squad that will or will not 
get us into the playoff mix and then it will be a question of whether or not we're allowed to stay in the playoff mix uh, by the end of the season. Um, but I, I, I'm not anticipating fast resolution of this because I think it will get messier before it gets clearer. Okay, Peter, I know you've, you've, you've been doing quite a lot of research and, and, and stuff during the week. Is there anything that we haven't touched upon yet that, that you think is, is quite important to, to get out there? Well, I think uh, I think the fact that it, this is this is fought on 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 fraught legal uh, ground, as, as James has been been saying. Um, the thing that worries me, one, the, the the consoling thing is, as James has been saying, that we've been we've, we've lawyered up that we've actually hired legal uh, assistance, which is very costly because probably because we believe we have a case here. But the worrying thing for me is um, when you read the statement. Um, and I, I admit I'm not a, uh, of the legal profession. I've had administrative law at university, but that's it. Um, but if you look at, at, at some of the wording there, uh, it's, it's legitimate expectation, which we're hanging on, binding, binding legitimate expectation, which we're hang, hanging our hat on. That means there are there is no smoking gun on our side of the of, of the fence. We don't have a document where the EFL says, well, yeah, it's okay, just sell Hillsborough and put it into the accounts. That's fine. So this means... Now, if you look on the plus side, this means that we can fight our corner because we it's all about interpretation, but it also means that we run a big risk of an even bigger penalty. Um, and, and imagine this case, that we appeal this and we go to the courts and let's say we finish up in the playoffs and let's say miraculously we, we, we go to Wembley and we win, win the damn thing and, and, and win promotion. The EFL can then suspend our promotion for next season. So we, we start the summer by not knowing which division we, we were in. And let's just say if that was resolved during the summer, but we might be looking at late July before we, we know for certain whether we're playing in the Premier League or not. And at that point, recruiting a Premier League team with half our squad over 30, half our squad out of contract, and more than half our squad patently not good enough for the Premier League, uh, the, the, the odds of us surviving the Premier League uh, would be, uh, yeah, I, I can't see that happening. So this idea that it's promotion or bust uh, I think that's the most important point that we have to get away from that that uh, that, that viewpoint and that that way of thinking. Uh, there's there's more at stake here. What is at stake is, is the future of Sheffield Wednesday Football Club, and and if we're not careful, this will will uh, propel us towards uh, oblivion, which it would be if Tansiri decides. Well, uh, we've got a big points penalty. We, we we can't effectively can't be promoted. So I've lost interest. I want to sell the club. And then he's selling the club uh, in the disarray we're in with half a squad of players and so on. So, I mean, the the, the worst case scenario here is, is really, really bad. And it has become a lot worse uh, over the last six months, in my opinion. That's 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 the main thing I, I feel people aren't really catching on to in this, in this, uh, this whole uh, ship, uh, debacle. It's a nice, uh, jolly final thought from uh, Peter. James, <laughs> any uh, any closing thoughts from you? Call, call this Americans line. <laughs> um, honestly, we have to be honest. This is a mess of our own making because of the decisions we made three, four years ago. You know, we're trying to avoid we're trying to avoid the penalty because there are loopholes which others have proven can be taken. I don't blame us for that. We know the governance of the club has to change. Everything Peter's just outlined is fair, and it definitely is a worst case scenario. All I would say is the system as a whole is not working. It's very, very clear that PNS as a governance mechanism across the championship has to change. I just have to hold out some hope that Wednesday become the channel through which that change is affected and that perhaps that mitigates some of the impact upon us. Um, but 
you know, we shouldn't make any mistake. This is still very serious. And unfortunately, I think it's a cloud that's going to hang over us for some time. So as and when more information becomes available, we'll try and interpret it. But right now, you know, we're second guessing this along with a lot of other Wednesday fans, unfortunately. Yep. Yep, we are just going to have to sit and uh, and ride this one out, unfortunately, aren't we? So, uh, well, there we go. Some very um, some very happy thoughts in uh, in amongst all um, all. Pleasure um, as always. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll wrap things up by saying, of course, we will uh, we will keep a very keen eye on this. As and when there are any developments, we'll be uh, we'll be back. Um, we will no doubt actually be back at some point in the not too distant future with a bit of analysis of what's happening in terms of the actual um, on the pitch matters, which are um, a lot more positive than the uh, conversations that we're uh, that we're having right now about off the pitch matters. But um, yeah, all that remains for us to um, to say is uh, a very merry Christmas. Mm-hmm.